This is the Truth Hurts Program. Volume and spice up that eggnog. It's not Santa coming to town. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Truth Hurts Program with Steve Z. It is Thursday, the 22nd day of December 2022. Trust me, my friends, if you're not done Christmas shopping, you may not be able to get it done. Not only are we up against the clock here with only, what, two more days to go before Christmas? We are up against what could potentially be the weather-making headline story of the year. A bomb cyclone, they're calling it, could be developing out of what is simply just winter weather. The ever-searching-for-ratings hounds in the weather world love to create crisis out of thin air. Every year, as long as I can remember, almost 60 years on this planet, it gets cold in the wintertime. It gets hot in the summertime. That's just the way the weather works. Some years you have blizzards. Some years you have snow showers or snowstorms. Some years you get no snow at all. Some years it's relatively warm. Hell, last year in New Orleans, we were in shorts and t-shirts for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. This year, the lows just north of New Orleans across Lake Pontchartrain at Studio 63 the lows over the next three nights are expected to be in the teens, which is not too uncommon. It's happened before. But all this so-called lie of global warming makes me chuckle as the weather nuts now are going crazy because it's cold in the winter time. Unbelievable. We are indeed in the winter season. After the 21st, it is winter. And therefore, you expect it to be cold in the Northern Hemisphere. I tell you, my friends, it is crazy. This will probably be the last Truth Hurts program I get to do on a regular schedule over the next probably seven to ten days. So enjoy it. Take this time to catch up on those episodes that you missed. Most of the time, our topics are very time sensitive because if you're listening now to the program that was produced three days before the midterm elections, you already know the outcome. It's sort of like watching a football game from start to end three weeks later after you already know who has won. You kind of don't watch with the same fierce tenacity and intensity that you would have watched had you been watching it as it occurred. So I'm going to buzz through some headlines quickly, and uh, hopefully we can move forward with this edition of the Truth Hurts program before my vacation is upon us. Fox News' Lawrence Richard, or Richard reports Representative Republican Jim Jordan responds after Biden says he will hire more dreamers to curb inflation. Wait a minute. He's going to hire more dreamers? I guess he's talking about the illegal criminal trespassing young people who violated our most sacred immigration laws by trespassing and invading the United States across our southern border that Joe Biden refuses to admit is in crisis. Gropey Joe says they're going to hire more migrants in the coming year to help bolster the economy. But Jim Jordan says, why don't we hire Americans first? I guess it's because Joe Biden wants to give these so-called dreamers more ammunition to stay. After all, if they're here and they're working, they're still not paying taxes because they don't have social security numbers. They're not paying federal taxes. 
But there'll be Democrat votes for Joe Biden and his crew, right? USA Today's James Brown Jr. and a couple of other reporters. It took three or more reporters to write this article, which further proves that there are too many idiots graduating from journalism classes in college and not enough jobs for them. USA Today from Phoenix. Police departments across the country are hemorrhaging officers faster than recruiters can find qualified applicants. Seattle, Washington has lost more than 25% of its police force in the last two and a half years. Fairfax County Police Chief in Virginia declared a personnel emergency in July and implemented mandatory overtime. Three small towns, Kenley, North Carolina, Melbourne Village, Florida, and Springfield, Colorado, experienced mass resignations over the summer. The entire department in each community simply called it quits. Why? Well, cops are demonized, vilified, castigated, called bad names, accused of doing heinous things when all they're doing is trying to enforce the laws that the district's attorney refuse to prosecute. Why would you get up every morning? Here's my question to people who want to know why cops are quitting in droves. Let's pretend that your job every morning is to go out and clean the parking lot in front of your local grocery store. That's your job. While you're cleaning the parking lot, the public is throwing garbage out of the windows of their car and calling you a loser, a pig, a piece of crap, etc., and then spitting on you while you're trying to clean the parking lot. And they're throwing more garbage down while you are doing your job. You see, advocates pushing for defunding or even abolishment of police will probably see the lack of police officers as a good sign. The city officials, of course, say it affects the communities that police protect and serve. In Seattle, the mayor in July declared that the department could no longer provide prompt or effective essential services. Particularly after the George Floyd incident, there was a dramatic shift according to Phil Keith, the former director of Office of Community-Oriented Policing Services, which is run by the DOJ. You see, they lied. They claimed that Officer Derek Chauvin murdered the criminal thug, animal counterfeiting drug addict, George Floyd. George Floyd died of a drug overdose and a heart condition. Derek Chauvin's knee was in the wrong place at the wrong time, but make no bones about it. That animal, George Floyd, was breathing for nine minutes as he screamed, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. No human being can breathe for nine minutes and scream, I can't breathe. Anyway, city of New Orleans, Louisiana has insulted every single solitary senior officer on its police force this week. Mayor LaToilette Cantrell accepted the resignation of police superintendent Sean Ferguson earlier in the month, and then she appointed an interim police superintendent. Did she go to the assistant chiefs? Did she go to the chief? Did she go to the major or the colonel or any of the other high-ranking, long-serving police officers at the top management of New Orleans Police Department? Nope. She picked a lady who's been with the department for 30 years who happens to be the niece of a former failed New Orleans police superintendent, a woman whose rank is only captain. She overlooked chief, 
assistant chief, majors, colonels, and went right for her little home girl because she wanted another little black girl to be running the New Orleans police. My friends, I just don't understand it. If I were a member of the top brass of the New Orleans Police Department, I would resign or retire today. That's it. I'm, I'm done. You overlooked colonels, majors, chiefs, assistant chiefs. And what did you do? You picked a lowly captain. I'd tell you goodbye today. Take my retirement. Go enjoy my rest of my life. And always trying to make an excuse for the failure of police administrations and city administrations who are too stupid, ignorant, airheaded, vapid, whatever you want to call it, to realize the sheer danger of losing 25% of your cops overnight. Officer Terry Cherry is a recruiter for the Charleston Police Department. She said exits are not always bad, especially because police culture typically resists change. Sometimes that leaving an organization makes way for new idea and different types of thinking. So you have these new peoples coming in and they excited. They excited because they've seen the world. They know about Ferguson. They knows about George Floyd. They knows about body cameras. What an ignorant response. What an ignorant thing to say. Meanwhile, over in Fort Worth, Texas, 50 potential recruits came in at a recent recruiting event in Fort Worth to speak with representatives from 14 different law enforcement agencies across the state of Texas, including the large metro areas of Arlington, Dallas, and Houston. Some recruiters stood there for hours, but only spoke to a few possible applicants. Sergeant Jamie Ramos, a recruiter for the Houston PD, noted that many interested applicants get quote, teed out or disqualified because they have tattoos or social media behavior that is unbecoming, or maybe they have drug use in their resume. Guess what, my friends? Policing went out the window when you started allowing facial hair and tattoos. Uniform is uniform. That's why the military is the way it is. But when you start running out and people are starting to defund your organizations, well, what can I say? It is what it is. And old Terry Cherry obviously hates white men because her comment was, Back then, it was tall men, white, no tattoos, very rigid, typically from the military or something. And when you get these people from different backgrounds, they see the world differently because they haven't been involved in it at the same way as that specific group. You know we now have a multitude of people talking and changing and speaking. In other words, to hell with any type of law and order, as long as we can put somebody in a uniform, hand them a gun and a badge. Unbelievable. This is the Truth Hurts program. The right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Those are the sacred words affirming our rights as American citizens to protect ourselves. But the New Jersey State Senate has decided, screw the Bill of Rights, screw you, and screw the Second Amendment. 
uninfringed means will not be effed with, will not be messed with, will not be blockaded, restricted, stymied. But the New Jersey State Senate passed a new concealed gun control legislation measure on Monday, even though all of the Republicans and one Democrat on the panel said the measure is unconstitutional. What they've done is just provided an opportunity for lawyers to get richer, as they now will probably have to take this all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court to prove that it is unconstitutional. This new bill will require gun owners who seek a concealed carry permit to have to go out and purchase liability insurance and have to go out and pay to take training courses. They're also increasing permit fees and restricting guns in sensitive places like schools, public parks, courthouses, bars, and private property. The bill received bipartisan criticism. One state senator, Michael Testa, called the bill, quote, absolutely wrong. And Senator Nicholas Sacco says it's unconstitutional and will face legal challenges. Can you imagine? We are going to make you pay more and more and more to get a concealed carry permit and then require you to do all kinds of things like purchase insurance? Oh my God, folks. It is unconstitutional. It is a violation of your civil rights. And if you live in New Jersey, I highly, highly recommend contacting your congressperson. Michael Goodwin wrote in the New York Post an opinion piece entitled The Naked Truth on the Hunter Biden Laptop Cover-Up. It begins, We can thank Watergate and the fall of Richard Nixon for numerous words and quotes that continue to shape public understanding of political scandals. The words, hush money, follow the money, modified limited hangout, and deep throat all came from Watergate. But here we are more than 50 years later. Two other Watergate phrases are now key to understanding the FBI's role in suppressing the initial coverage of the Hunter Biden confirmed laptop. The first is, of course, what did the president know and when did he know it? Back in the Watergate era, 1973, the question about Richard Nixon's knowledge was asked by Howard Baker, the senator, and it was asked of White House counsel John Dean. Essentially, it was, quote, whether Nixon knew about the plan to break into the Democrat Party offices, unquote, the so-called third-rate burglary. When did he know about it? If did he know at all? At first glance, the question would seem to have no relevance to the FBI's use of Twitter and social media platforms to censor reports on the Biden crime family's corruption. After all, the president in the fall of 2020 was Donald Trump. But that's exactly the point and a key element, by the way, that makes the evolving scandal so damned distinct. It shows that the FBI, the nation's premier law enforcement agency, was secretly working to defeat the sitting President of the United States, Mr. Donald Trump, and was secretly working to elect Joe Biden. The FBI secretly worked to defeat the sitting President of the United States and elect Joe Biden. Recall that under former Director James Comey's band of dirty cops, the agency had done something similar in 2016 when it spied on the Trump campaign and used many FBI top leaders to actively work in an attempt to flip that election to Hillary Rotten Clinton. 
So, unlike the Nixon during Watergate, the Trump not only didn't know about the dirty tricks he was the victim of, but he was the victim of those dirty tricks. Numerous reports show that enough Biden voters said they would have voted for Trump to change the outcome had they known Joe Biden was the big guy, slated to get a secret 10% cut of his son's China payoff. The second Watergate phrase that our attention should be directed to is, the cover-up is worse than the crime. That's because we're on the cusp of the cover-up phase of what the FBI, probably the CIA and others, did to influence the outcome of the 2020 election. Predictable denials of, nothing to see here folks, move along, come despite clear proof that agents first-hand interfered with the First Amendment rights of the American public, and not only on Twitter. Fake book CEO Mark Zuckerberg said agents warned him about, quote, Russian disinformation, unquote, before the election. Those warnings came in weekly meetings that FBI agents held in San Francisco with the big tech firms, and most of them mentioned Hunter Biden. It remains an open question to what extent free speech was infringed upon by government minders across the dirty, filthy media landscape. Zuckerberg said agents warned him about Russian information or disinformation before the election. FBI agents on the payroll, thanks to Elon Musk's opening of the Twitter files, we now know that the FBI had scores of agents, and that means more than 40, monitoring the site's users and directing compliant employees to ban certain tweets and restrict their reach. Agents of the FBI demanded the names and personal information that Twitter had on those users so that additional surveillance, possibly without court orders, could follow. The Post reports that at least 12 former FBI agents were on the Twitter payroll, including former FBI General Counsel James Baker. And it depicts a too cozy relationship that turned Twitter into what one independent journalist called the subsidiary of the Bureau. Other reports say numerous former agents held jobs at other social media firms, suggesting a sinister revolving door that made the firm's cat paws for government snooping. Another event in the 2020 election, it's shrouded in secrecy, involves the infamous letter signed by 51 former intelligence officers saying the Post report had all the earmarks of Russian disinformation. But it's no coincidence that that letter, which allowed Biden to accuse Trump of using false information at a debate, reflects the exact same talking points that the FBI had made to Twitter. It specifically urged company officials to beware of Russian disinformation about Hunter Biden, especially what they called hacked materials. But guess what? It wasn't hacked. It was Hunter Biden's actual laptop where he called his father, the sitting president now of the United States of America, Pedo Pete, short for pedophile Pete, because Hunter Biden, the cocaine addict, knows his father, the president, Joe Biden, is a perverted, sick, twisted, old pedophile. One of the warnings came just hours before the final story on the laptop that may have involved communications between agents and Hunter Biden's lawyer. The FBI attempted to suppress the Post's reporting on Hunter Biden. 
It's not a coincidence that while it was issuing warnings, the FBI had in its hand for months, 10 months to be exact, the actual computer that contained all of the incriminating information about President Joe Biden. One possibility that must be considered is the FBI knew the Post report was accurate, set out to make that report toxic by specifically warning that anything involved Hunter Biden could be disinformation and should be suppressed. And so that's what Twitter and Fakebook actually did. There are some major differences between this scandal and Watergate. Some might suggest the fight for the truth this time will be much harder one with no guaranteed results. Topping the list, of course, is the hyper-partisanship gripping Washington, D.C. Howard Baker was respected Republican senator from Tennessee when he asked John Dean about the Watergate break-in, and Nixon had offered to nominate him to the Supreme Court in 71. Despite his closeness to the president, his work on the Watergate hearings was above reproach. Now try to imagine one solitary single Senate Democrat who could play such a role in being beyond reproach and properly, without political partisanship, investigate Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, and of course the FBI. The trusted media that drove the Watergate process to its rightful conclusion no longer exists in our nation. The virtual coverage blackout on the Twitter files release is the latest in a long line of evidence that today's media outlets are all in the tank for the Democrats. Generations of fair journalists who saw themselves as patriots first, journalists second, would have grabbed this huge complicated story with both hands and dry humped it on every possible television show as far as the eyes could see. Especially if this story were about, I don't know, Jared Kushner's laptop implicating Donald Trump or Ivanka's laptop or anyone in the Trump organization. This would be 24-7 wall-to-wall coverage. But since it's Joe Biden, a Democrat, and since the leftist mainstream progressive liberal woke media is in the tank for Biden and the Democrats, we hear crickets chirping. We have in Biden, as John Dean famously said about Nixon, a cancer on the presidency. We have an FBI that has returned to the ethos of J. Edgar Hoover. He kept his job for nearly five decades by keeping files filled with dirt on presidents and senators and members of Congress and many private citizens like Martin Luther King Jr. Because of inevitable damage to our country, I would love to be wrong about the road ahead, but I have a fear that most of you agree with. Nothing will ever be done to Joe Biden or Hunter Biden or those at the top of the FBI who participated in this disastrous disgusting cover-up. This is the Truth Hurts program. With so many stories sneaking out and sneaking around about the Wuhan China novel coronavirus, its origins, and now the increase in deaths because of vaccinated Americans, Newsweek's Dara Roche writes, Biden administration is increasing spending on vaccine injury claims. And this raises questions. While the U.S. Senate might be able to try and pass this $1.7 trillion boondoggle omnibus spending bill, maybe, I hope not, they need to get all the garbage out of it, scale it down to about $1.1 trillion. 
There is a lot of legislation that will draw the attention of those skeptical about the COVID vaccines. The spending bill has put in $15 million for, quote, administrative expenses for the Vaccine Injury Compensation Program Trust Fund. You know all of those commercials you hear for mesothelioma and all of those asbestos lawsuits and all of those other lawsuits that the ambulance chasing attorneys are out there promoting a 15 billion dollar trust fund has been set aside if you teethed with talcum powder whatever the hell it is the biden administration knowing full well that fuji and his gain of function research caused covid and that these vaccines are killing people in america they are trying to pump millions of dollars for administrative expenses for a program that they've already set up because they know the lawsuits are coming. The Vaccine Injury Compensation Program Trust Fund, which provides funding for the National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program. The program is designed to compensate vaccine-related injury or death petitions for covered vaccines administered on or after a certain date. Dan Bishop is a Republican member of Congress, and he pointed to that section of the omnibus spending bill as part of a series of tweets offering a critique of this massive overspending of a budget. The section of the omnibus bill refers to, quote, sums of money as may be necessary for claims associated with vaccine-related injury or death. The National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program, or VICP, does not currently cover COVID-19 vaccinations. COVID vaccines are covered under the, quote, Countermeasures Injury Compensation Program, the CICP. It's not mentioned directly in the spending bill. The $15.2 million for the VICP is relatively small in comparison to the whole $1.7 trillion. But this is what I'm telling you, folks. Why would you have to put a trust fund and put millions and millions and millions of dollars into it to protect against lawsuits for people forced to take or coerced into taking COVID vaccines unless you know that those lawsuits are coming because the damned vaccines are killing and injuring and maiming Americans? CDC has put something on his website that deaths after COVID-19 vaccination are rare and that reports of adverse effects after vaccination, including deaths, quote, do not necessarily mean that a vaccine caused the health problem, unquote. The benefits of COVID-19 vaccination, they claim, outweigh any potential risks. Tell that to the dead people. Tell that to the 118,000 additional dead people last year who were all vaccinated. I'm telling you, folks, it's a scam. It's a scandal. Who cares? I read an article about the horse face, the buck tooth, the AOC. It says, is AOC in big legal trouble? Is her future in question? New York Democratic Congresswoman Alexandria Horseface Cortez, simply known as AOC, is currently under investigation by the House of Representatives Ethics Committee. The subject of the investigation has yet to be revealed. Our attempt at a Freedom of Information Act request to determine what they are seeking as far as horse face has not been returned. 
which is, by the way, a violation of the FOIA rules, the FOIL rules. It is widely suspected that it is the result of a September 2021 complaint filed by the Americans Accountability Federation for accepting an impermissible gift to attend the Met Gala. You know, when she showed up there in the dress with all the nasty words on it. <sighs> she made considerable waves, not just for attending the $35,000 a person Met Gala, but she had a sign that says, Tax the Rich, emblazoned on her dress. Is it a witch hunt or is it an actual concern? Well, how about a waste of taxpayers' money? How many illegal, criminal, trespassing, law-breaking migrants have been bused to AOC's area of representation that could have benefited from $35,000? Maybe some warm coats, some mittens, some gloves, some warm shoes. How about a hot meal? But you see, it was more important for AOC to go out there and make waves and try and turn heads with her stupid tax the rich dress. Oh well, my friends, I'm going to cut it short here at the old Truth Hurts Program Network and wish you all a very Merry Christmas, a very Happy New Year, a very Happy Hanukkah to my Jewish friends. All those other fake holidays that are manufactured to pander to some minority group, Try to be kind to one another. Realize the truth, even though sometimes the truth hurts. And we'll see you next time on the Truth Hurts Program with Steve Z. Bye-bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Truth Hurts Program with Steve Z. Opinions expressed are protected free speech under the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. I apologize if you were offended, but I retract nothing. Background music by Jason Shaw and Audionautics. This program was pre-recorded. Thank you.